I'm sure as you look back on your life, you can pick out some experience, some circumstance where if you had to do it all over again, if you had to choose, if you were in control, you definitely would not have gone through that trial, that difficulty, faced that problem. But at the other end of it, coming out of it, you can see how God used it to be a blessing to you, to protect you, to bless you, to change your course. And even though you wouldn't have chosen it, you still are thankful for it. Hello, I'm Brian Foreman, and this is Cornerstone Online, which is our weekly experience where we inspire and equip you to follow Jesus wholeheartedly, knowing that following Jesus makes life better, and makes you better at life. And if you're new here, we would love to be able to welcome you personally and stay in touch with you. So if you are new, if you can text the word new to our church number, 603-225-2550 and introduce yourself, that would be great. We are in a series, we're actually culminating a series on the book of First Peter called Outsider Insider. And the whole idea behind that began with the very first verse in First Peter where it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, telling who the letter is from, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces. And we've picked up on those three themes that uh, they are the elect, they are exiles, or the word that we've been using is sojourners, and that they are scattered. The setting for this is that these are followers of Jesus who, especially at that time, would not be in positions of power and authority, but instead they are being uh, persecuted by, facing opposition from those who are in authority over them. And so they are outsiders to the power structures of this world. And Peter writes, reminding them, telling them, encouraging them that even though they are outsiders to the power structures of this world, they are actually the ultimate insiders, being a part of God's family and God's kingdom. Now in this passage, as we wrap up the book, Peter actually gives his purpose for writing. In 1 Peter 5.12, it says, my purpose in writing is to encourage you. And that's the idea of not just encouragement, but also exhortation to spur them in a particular direction and to assure you that what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace to you. Now remember what they were experiencing is they were experiencing trials. They were experiencing opposition. And the question that obviously would have come to their mind just like it would come to our mind is if we are following God, if we're on the right track, then why is it that we're experiencing opposition and trials? And so he writes to encourage them to keep on doing the right thing and entrusting the results to God to uh, tell them that even though they're experiencing opposition, this is a part of God's grace for you. He is watching over you in the midst of it. And he ends that verse with this exhortation to stand firm in this grace, to hold your ground. So today, as we wrap up this book, we're going to be talking about trials. And what we'll see is that trials can be a blessing in disguise. Trials can be 
a blessing in disguise and the challenge, the application will be to stand firm. Don't question your faith. Instead, rejoice because of your faith. Examine your walk. See if there's anything that you need to adjust and then anticipate God's blessing. Stand firm, be strong in your faith. So let's look at it together. We're actually looking at two passages. You may remember if you were there last week that we did the in-between passage and I said we would come back, get the piece that we missed and then finish up because these are all, this passage, these two passages are all along the same theme talking about trials. So we're going to read 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 12 to 19 and then skip ahead to chapter 5 verses 8 to 14. This is what it says. Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange were happening to you. Instead, be very glad for these trials make you partners with Christ in his suffering so that you will have the wonderful joy of seeing his glory when it's revealed to all the world. So be happy when you are insulted for being a Christian for then the glorious spirit of God rests on you. If you suffer, however, It must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs. But it is no shame to suffer for being a Christian. Praise God for the privilege of being called by his name. For the time has come for judgment, and it must begin with God's household. And if judgment begins with us, what terrible fate awaits those who have never obeyed God's good news? And also, if the righteous are barely saved, what will happen to godless sinners? So, if you are suffering in a manner that pleases God, keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to God who created you, for he will never fail you. Then beginning in chapter 5, verse 8, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your Christian brothers and sisters all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering you are. In his kindness, God called you to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you have suffered a little while, he will restore, support, and strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. All power to him forever. Amen. I have written and sent this short letter with the help of Silas, whom I commend to you as a faithful brother. My purpose in writing is to encourage you and assure you that what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. Stand firm in this grace. Your sister church here in Babylon sends you greetings, and so does my son Mark. Greet each other with Christian love. Peace be with all of you who are in Christ. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word, and I pray that as we look at it today, that you would speak to everyone who is watching and listening that you would give them encouragement, that you would guide them and direct them along the right path, and that you would just uh, show us how you are at work even in the trials, difficulties, and opposition that we face. 
And I pray, Lord, that you would create in us that steadfast courage that will stand our ground, resist the enemy, and draw close to you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so having read that, remember, we're talking about trials and what we'll see through this passage. You've picked up on this theme, I'm sure, that trials can be a blessing in disguise. And let's start with this, that trials are expected mile markers on the right path. You see, the temptation when we encounter difficulty, when we encounter opposition, is to wonder, have we made a wrong turn? And the Apostle Peter is writing to these believers, telling them that even though you are facing opposition, even though you are experiencing trials, it doesn't necessarily mean you're on the wrong path. And in fact, our trials can be expected mile markers on the right path. When I was growing up, we often, and we were in South Florida, we would often go to Key West to visit family. And once you get on the Florida Keys, on the overseas highway, you start seeing these mile markers. And I used to like to watch them as a kid, to watch the numbers go down. Because when you got to Key West, the mile markers ended. It was zero. And this is the end of US-1, the same US-1, the same highway that starts and ends in Key West, goes all the way up to the Canadian border in Maine. And so these mile markers along the way, you would see them when you get on the, on the keys and they would just count down until you arrived at your destination in Key West. Key West. It was an indicator that we were on the right path and it was a way of marking your progress. If you saw the numbers starting to go up, you know you had made a wrong turn and you were heading in the wrong direction. As long as those mile markers kept going down, the numbers kept going down, you knew you were on the right path. You saw the mile markers and you knew that you were headed towards your destination. So the same kind of thing is uh, possible when you encounter trials as a follower of Jesus. This passage begins with Peter saying, Dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through as if something strange was happening to you. He's saying these are to be expected. It's supposed to be this way. And then in the conclusion of the letter, he reminds them that this is a common Christian experience. He says in verse 9 of chapter 5, remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. This is the common Christian experience. In previous chapters, he was talking about Jesus and his suffering. Then he says, Jesus suffered. It shouldn't be a surprise when you suffer. And in fact, all followers of Jesus are experiencing some kind of opposition. The Apostle Paul, speaking to his apprentice Timothy, said the same thing in 2 Timothy 3.12. In fact, if everyone, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're in Christ, then you're a part of that everyone and you can expect to encounter opposition. So you're going to encounter opposition. Jesus experienced it. 
throughout history. You've, people who follow Jesus have experienced it. If you follow Jesus, you're going to experience it. And also in that second part, in the conclusion of the letter, he gives part of the explanation why. You have an enemy, and if you have an enemy, you're going to face opposition. This is what he says in verse eight. Stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. You have an enemy, you're going to face opposition. But um, he actually, Peter, gives a word of encouragement in the second thought in the beginning of this passage. He's saying, don't be surprised. This is the common experience, but he actually is letting them know it should actually encourage you. It should actually be a cause for rejoicing because these trials are mile markers on the right path. This is the way he describes it. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. Now, what does he mean by sharing in the sufferings of Christ? He's saying that this is a pattern that is well-worn. It's a pattern that was established by Jesus. And if you are following Jesus, you can expect to have similar experiences to Jesus. You are sharing in suffering just as Christ suffered when he walked on earth. And so he says, keep on rejoicing. Well, what's the thought process behind that? Why would we rejoice when we encounter trials as a follower of Jesus? He goes on. This is the uh, a, a very literal translation. So that at the revelation of his glory, you may also rejoice and be overjoyed. Throughout this letter, you see Peter following the track, the pattern of Jesus' life, that he came, he did the right thing, he faced opposition from ungodly people in authority, eventually suffered and died, but God rescued him, redeemed him, brought him from the dead, raised him back to life. So there's this pattern, do right, suffer opposition and persecution, and then deliverance at God's hand. So what he's saying is, when you encounter trials and opposition, that's actually a, sim uh, uh, a symbol that you are on the right track because it's the same track that Jesus experienced. He experienced opposition from people who were in authority. So when you encounter that, rejoice. It's a good sign that you're on the right track and it should help you to anticipate the same pattern that Jesus experienced. Eventually, he was delivered. He was justified. He was brought back from the dead. So he's saying at the revelation of his glory, when Jesus returns, when he is shown to the world for who he is, you'll also rejoice and be overjoyed. The same kind of redemption and uh and deliverance is going to happen for you as well. So trials are actually mile markers on the right path. They're what Jesus experienced, what everybody else experienced is, what you can expect, and they're also kind of like that indicator, you're on the right track, you're going to end up at 
the right destination. So our trials can be a blessing in disguise. They can indicate to us that we're on that same path that Jesus was on, but they also can encourage us by showing us that trials don't necessarily mean you're doing something wrong. The Apostle Peter is encouraging his readers. He's saying, even though you encounter opposition, doesn't mean you're on the wrong track. And in fact, they can be mile markers on the right track. But at the same time, it's good to examine things. It doesn't necessarily mean you're on the wrong track, but it might be a good opportunity to examine the results. So this is what he says. The next verse, verse 14, if you are insulted because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed. Throughout the book, the apostle Peter has been saying, if you do the right thing, if you keep on this track, if you stand firm, if you hold your ground, then you can eventually expect, do the right thing, that you can eventually expect that God is going to watch over you. He is going to take care of you. And he reiterates that theme here. If you're insulted, if you face opposition, if people speak poorly about you because you bear the name of Christ, you will be blessed. Now, one of the things that I've noticed throughout this, throughout this book is that Peter's mind is so steeped in the scriptures that he's constantly quoting, referring to, alluding to other parts of the scripture. And this is uh, just another example of that. When he says that if you're insulted, you will be blessed, he is referring right back to Jesus' teaching. Let's look at it. This is in Matthew chapter five in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. It's the same exact thing that Peter is saying in his letter. Jesus goes on to say, be happy about it. Peter had just said, rejoice about it. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. Again, the parallel, Peter is saying that if you stick with it, if you stay on the right track, if you follow Jesus, remain faithful to him, then you can expect at the revelation of his glory, when he comes back in his glory, you will be rewarded. Where did he get that idea? From Jesus himself. People persecute you, they speak poorly about you because of Jesus, be happy about it, for a great reward awaits you in heaven. There's going to be a blessing at the end of this journey. And then Jesus goes on to say, and remember the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. In other words, you have good company. It's the same kind of thing that happened to the ancient prophets. The, the same th kind of thing is gonna happen to you if you belong to me. And then Peter says, remember, this is what happened to Jesus. This is what's happening to people all over the world who follow Jesus. You can expect the same kind of thing to happen to you. And he points out that you wouldn't face opposition if you weren't following Jesus. This is the next half of that verse. It's the spirit of God and his glory. And remember, glory can be a word that indicates the presence of God, that God showing up in your life is his glory being manifest. 
It's the Spirit of God in you. It's His glory in you that brought you to the notice of others. In other words, if you weren't following Jesus, if you weren't doing things His way, if you didn't bear His name, then you wouldn't be experiencing this opposition. It's because you're following Jesus. It's because you have the Spirit of God. It's because His glory, His presence is being made manifest in your life that that can cause opposition. So it can be an indicator. It doesn't mean that you're doing something wrong. In fact, it can be an indicator that you're doing something right. However, and here's the contrast, Peter is writing to people to remind them that it's still important to do right. It's still right, important to do right, to honor your authorities, to do the right thing, even if you encounter opposition, so he reminds them. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're on the wrong track, but don't get off track. Don't do wrong and suffer for it. That's what he says in verse 15. If you suffer, however, it must not be for murder, stealing, making trouble, or prying into other people's affairs. Because what can happen is, Sometimes a follower of Jesus can do the wrong thing, suffer the natural consequences for it, and then feel like or claim that they're being persecuted because they're following Jesus. You can probably think of some examples in your life, in the news, in recent history, but uh, he is making a very clear distinction. The apostle Peter is saying, look, if you're following Jesus, you're going to get opposition, but not every opposition that you encounter, not every trial that comes your way is necessarily because you're following Jesus. Sometimes you do wrong. Sometimes you can do stupid stuff. And if you suffer for that, that doesn't count. <laughs> That's not the same thing. That's not a prelude to God's blessing. So he gives some clear examples. It's like, Look, if you are a murderer or a thief and you suffer the consequences for that, that is not the same thing. Don't be confused about, about that. <clears throat> but then he goes a, a, little bit, uh, a little bit more general, making trouble. Uh, some translations say an evildoer. Another commentator had suggested this is just a common criminal. It's just you're a troublemaker. You're causing problems. If you experience opposition or suffer or trials because you're a, a troublemaker, then that's to be expected. Then he, get, then he says, prying into other people's affairs. This is a meddler. This is a busybody. This is somebody who's sticking their nose into business that does not belong to them. If you are that kind of person, you can expect to encounter opposition. You can expect things won't go well. That's not the same thing. So what you see here is that trials can be a blessing in disguise, but they can also prompt you to set things right. So you can ask yourself, am I suffering because I'm following Jesus and doing the right thing? Or am I encountering opposition and trial and difficulty because I'm doing stupid stuff? I'm doing illegal stuff. I'm causing problems. I'm sticking my nose where it doesn't belong. That's not the same thing. And so the trials can actually prompt you to set things right 
and to get back on the right path. This is hinted at at the very first part of this passage, this verse that we already looked at. It said, dear friends, don't be surprised at the fiery trials you are going through. And what Peter is talking about here is a refiner's fire. There is already a strong tradition in his tradition, in the scriptures, of seeing difficulties as having a purifying effect on the person who goes through them. Your difficulties can either refine you or destroy you. And so he's saying, look, as a follower of Jesus, when you encounter fiery trials, when you encounter opposition, when you encounter difficulty, those can refine you. It can build your spiritual muscle. Just like when you go to work out, what you're doing is you're putting yourself through your paces, you're causing muscle to build by encountering resistance. And he's saying something similar can happen in your spiritual life as well. Then he kind of comes back to this theme and focuses on it beginning at verse 17. For he says, for the time has come for judgment and it must begin with God's household. Again, there is not only a theme and strong tradition that sometimes trials and difficulties can act as a refining, purifying influence on your life, but also that judgment and those trials come first off to God's people as a refinement and then extend to evil evildoers in general as judgment. And so the apostle Peter is picking up on and expanding on this theme. And again, remember how I said that he's so steeped in scriptures and and so just constantly scriptures, uh, scriptural allusions are coming out. When people study this, they see in particular two passages from Ezekiel chapter nine and Malachi chapter three. These are both examples. You can go back and look at them later where judgment is coming and it begins with the people of God to refine them and even a subset of that, it begins with the leaders, the elders, the priests within the temple. That's where God's refining fire first breaks out in these passages. And part of the reason that we think that this is what the Apostle Peter is thinking about and alluding to, I'll explain to you right now. Notice how I indicated house in household. Now this word, it says God's house, and that can be his house, like uh, his temple, the place where he's worshiped, or it can also be his household, the people that make up that household. So this translation is picking up on the people, but it literally says God's house. It must begin with God's house. Now remember back in chapter two, Peter says, you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. The word that's translated temple there is the same one that's used in that previous passage that that's, uh, we just looked at where it says God's household. So he's saying, you are living stones that God is making into a spiritual house. And what's more, you are his holy priests through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. So he's saying, you are God's house. You are the priests who are offering spiritual sacrifices in 
and that's how you please God. Now, in those other passages, in Ezekiel chapter 9 and Malachi chapter 3, the judgment begins with the temple, with God's house. It begins with the people who are the leaders, the priests in God's house. And so Peter is actually picking up on this theme and saying, look, when you encounter opposition, when you encounter trials, that's an illustration of God's judgment, his refining fire. And just like in our tradition, just like in the Old Testament, in the Hebrew scriptures, God would begin by refining and purifying his temple and the leaders, the elders in his temple. And that was an indication that God was at work purifying and judging, and then that that would extend from that. Now, why did I go into all of that detail? It's so clear that this is what Peter is thinking about. He's saying, look, we're encountering trials and difficulties. How does that work in the past? Well, God's judgment begins as a refining fire with his own people before it extends to the world as a whole. So when we see that happening to us, that's kind of like right in that same pattern. And, uh, and then notice the passage that we looked at last week that's in between here. What was that all about? It was about the leaders is saying, and now to you elders, here's what you should do when the judgment, when you experience trials, when you, what should be you be doing in the midst of this? And that's the exact same thing that was happening in these previous passages. He's saying, look, judgment, trials, difficulties, they're to be expected. They can be a refining fire. And that starts with the people of God and the leaders within God's people. And then he goes on to say, and if judgment begins with us, what terrible fate awaits those who have never obeyed God's good news. Trials can either refine you as a follower of Jesus, or they can be an indication of coming doom and judgment and destruction for those that don't belong to Jesus. Now, again, another theme throughout the, the book of First Peter is it's very focused on eternity. And so the rewards are eternal rewards. The judgment is temporary, but it could lead to eternal judgment. So you have to stand firm in your faith. You have to choose. Am I going to be a part of the people of God? Am I going to bear the name of Jesus? I'm going to encounter trials, but these are going to be refiner's fire kind of trials that are going to purify me and strengthen me. They're going to work out my spiritual muscles, and I'm going to be blessed as a result. Or if I reject Jesus, am I going to experience eternal consequences? And if so, how do I get out of that path? And so what he's reminding us is, that these trials can either refine you or destroy you. And it's all based on your response to Jesus. What do you do with Jesus? People who follow Jesus are going to have a difficult time, but people who don't follow Jesus the way he describes it, never obeying the good news are going to find themselves in far more difficulty trial an eternal trial. And so 
This is an opportunity for us to encourage you to choose Jesus, to say yes to Jesus. The grace of God has appeared to us in Jesus. He is fair. He is loving. He made a way for us to escape the worst trials to come. And so we encourage you to commit your life to Jesus, to say yes to Jesus. What does that mean? It means that you are saying yes to him as Lord. That means that he's the boss, he's the king, he gets to call the shots. You're going to submit to his authority. When Jesus said, was about ready to send out his disciples, he said, all authority, all authority, all power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. And what are disciples? Disciples are just people who are learning Jesus' ways, following Jesus, committed their life to Jesus, declared their allegiance to Jesus, say yes to Jesus. And not only is he your Lord, is he going to call the shots? He's also your savior as well. That the punishment for your sins falls on him. That what he did on the cross will count for you. And when you say yes to Jesus, then your sins are forgiven. Your record is clean. You stand guiltless before your heavenly father. Say yes to Jesus. And if you are doing this, then we want to be able to celebrate because this is the best decision you've ever made and resource you as you begin your walk with Jesus. So if you text yes to our church number 603-225-2550, then we'll be able to do that. Celebrate with you and resource you as you begin your new life in Christ. Now, Peter goes on. So he says, so if you're suffering in a manner that pleases God. In other words, there are two kinds of suffering that you can experience. The refiner's fire because you're following Jesus, because you're doing the right thing, and that just creates opposition sometimes. Or you can suffer because you're doing wrong, because you're breaking the law, because you're meddling in people's affairs, because you're causing trouble that doesn't count. But if you're suffering in a manner that pleases God, you're doing the right thing and you're encountering opposition as a result, then keep on doing what is right and trust your lives to the God who created you for he will never fail you. He will never fail you. Do right and leave the results to God. That's the encouragement. So what have we been saying? Uh, We've been saying we've been talking about trials and we've been saying that trials can be a blessing in disguise. They're expected mile markers on the right path. They don't necessarily mean you're doing something wrong, but they can prompt you to set things right. So if that's the case, then what should we do? Let's stand firm. Let me talk through the application and how you can apply what you've heard today. This is the encouragement of the conclusion of the book. Stand firm and hold fast to your faith. When you encounter trials, when you encounter difficulty, what you're going to do is not cause it, not allow it to kind of 
sidetrack or derail your faith, as if something was going wrong, as if something surprising was happening. When you encounter trials and difficulty because you're a follower of Jesus, that should be an indicator you're actually on the right track. You're following the pattern of Jesus. So when you encounter difficulty, when you encounter trials, don't let it shake your faith. Let it establish you in your faith. Stand firm in your faith. Rejoice because if you share in suffering like Christ did, you can expect to follow his pattern on the other side as well and to receive glory and honor in the end. And then part of what standing firm means is to examine your walk. The walk is the way that the Bible talks about your way of life. So you can ask yourself, is this difficulty that I'm facing, is this because I'm doing the right thing, because I belong to Jesus, because I've identified with Jesus, or is it really because I'm just being a jerk. I'm getting involved in things that I shouldn't be involved in. I'm causing problems for myself and others. It's an opportunity to examine your walk and to get back on the right track if that's necess necessary. And then part of what standing firm means is that if you are on the right track. If the opposition that you're facing is because of the right reasons, you're, as the scriptures describe, suffering in a manner that pleases God, then you can anticipate God's blessing. If you encounter opposition, if you are ill-spoken of because of your identification with Jesus, Jesus has promised a blessing. God has promised that if you do the right thing, you will be blessed in the end. You might not see it immediately. You might not see it uh, soon, but eventually and ultimately, you there are real rewards and real blessings that God has promised to those who stay faithful to him regardless of the difficulty and opposition that they, that they face. So part of what standing firm means is keeping on the right track, leaving the results to God, and trusting that he is going to make things right in the end. So let's do that. If you're not already a follower of Jesus, turn your life over to him so that if you suffer, it's for the right reasons, it will refine you, and not destroy you. If you're already following Jesus, let's examine our walk. Let's, uh, let's make sure that we are doing the right things for the right reason at the right time and not suffering because we're being foolish or ungodly. And then let's just see what God will do. What does his blessing look like? How will he strengthen your faith in the middle of this? How will he build your spiritual muscle? And what will he ultimately do to honor and lift you up just as he did his son Christ by whose name you are called? Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you that we have this pattern, that we know that our suffering is not something to be surprised at, but that you have purposes in it, that the fiery trials are refining us. They're giving us an example to uh, an opportunity to examine our walk and Lord, I pray that for each one of us, beginning with myself, that you would show us what we should do and how we need to respond as a result of what we've heard today. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us the courage, faith, 
and obedience to do what we need to do in response. And that as a result, your glory would be made manifest, that you would show up in our lives and that you would receive the glory and credit for the good things that you are working in us. And I pray that you would help all of us to stand firm in our faith, to hold our ground when trials come our way, when the enemy sends opposition, knowing that we belong to you and that you have purpose and that you have committed and determined to bless us in the midst of it and in the end. We thank you for that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.